Good evening, fellow libertines, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. But you know what is on the American Friend Institute's top 100? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Hold on, I'm getting a call. Hello? Oh, hi, Hollywood. What's that? You need us to come save movies? Again? Ugh, I'm getting too old for this shit. Lethal Weapon, number 73. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Kit. Uh, I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my decent friends, Kit and Andrew. Uh, tonight, we are kicking off Kit's Opera and the Nether Regions triple feature with 1988's Dangerous Liaisons, directed by Stephen Frears and starring Glenn Close, John Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman, Swoozy Kurtz, and Keanu, the one and only. Swoozy so, is such a good name. Swoozy yeah. is pretty good. It's up there with Keanu, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> Uma, Uma, Swoozy, Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even Glenn, but, uh, you know. Yeah, totally. And then yeah, you got a, then, and you get a friggin' Michelle in there. Ugh, how and normy and boring. Michelle yeah. and John. No, thank you. What's uh? Are there other ladies named Glenn that we can think of? Glenn Headley. Interesting mm, yeah. connection. Okay. She was married to John Malkovich when this movie was uh, in production, but Weird. he had an affair with Michelle Pfeiffer, and they got divorced. Very interesting. That's Glenn sick. Headley. You know, Miss Lonely Hearts or whatever her name was from uh, Dick Tracy. Yeah, wonderful, oh. wonderful lady. Well, let's let's get a look. Let it, let me get a look at her real quick. She's beautiful. She's well, so let's cute. see. Well, I'm gonna decide. I'm gonna judge. Much a better wo- actress than Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm gonna judge the appearance of a woman on our podcast right now. Here we go, baby. Ooh, live. Live. This is happening live, people. Uh. Hmm. Okay, I know this lady. Yep. Well, you certainly do because we've watched at least one movie with her in a Star Yeah, role. But now she's old, you know? She's actually dead, so. What happened? She couldn't oh, handle? Oh, she died. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Hate it when that happens. You know what I yeah. hear? The, you know what I hear the number one cause of death is? Hmm. Dying. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. She was in Mr. Holland's Opus, and I'm sure you've seen that like a million times. No, I've never oh, seen she, it, actually. Oh, she's also, like, really hot in uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. She plays yeah, kind of okay. the okay. Adam's Family Values, y- you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, un- I'm unconventional co- actress who has, like, one super glamorous, like, titties up kind of role. Who is she in Adam's Family Values? <laughs> she's not. I'm just saying that's, like, Joan oh. Cusack in Adam's Family Values. Yeah, yeah. You know? Which blows yeah. my mind. Because I, I feel I like thought... I, I feel like I always forget that's Joan Cusack, but I, I yeah. get what you're saying. But it's like, yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. It's like, or, it's or uh, it's even like... even like Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies or something like that. You know, to me, it's like Glenn Headley in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, um, Joan Cusack in Adam's Family Values, and then what's her name in Clue? 
Oh, I love her. What's her name? That's all like the same lady to me. Just like a mean lady in an off the shoulder gown with her boobs pu- pushed up really far. Same Susan lady. Susan Sarandon? No, but she looks like Susan Sarandon. She it's does. Uh, Wait, she, is Susan uh, Sarandon in Clue? Leslie Ann Warren. No, that's oh, Leslie yeah, yeah, Ann yeah. Warren. She's looking okay. like Susan Sarandon in that film, though. When I was just, what was I? Oh, I was reading about uh, that Billy Wilder movie that Susan Sarandon was in today. So that was on my mind. What's that one about the newspaper? The front page. Ah. Oh my goodness. I'm looking at this picture from uh, from a movie of Leslie M. Warren, and it really does look like her tits are about to like legit pop out. Is that is it from um, Clue? Yeah, I think so. She said basically like the entire film, like that dress was like almost falling off of her. <laughs> Yeah, it was like very hard wild. to contend with, but it was really pretty. She was really liked how she looked, as well she should. But it That's looks what it's like all about. it looks like her boobs are like pushing the dress downward. I, I it has a lot of interior uh, support. The dress does oh, I'm sure. so that yeah, the sleeves can look like they're falling off. Um, I, I do want to like... say that to honor Glenn Close and Dangerously Essence, I will be putting on my makeup throughout this podcast. Okay. And also because I don't have time. Well, for those of you who are joining us on the uh, patrons only or the Patreon only live stream, you'll get yep. to enjoy that. But that's yeah. just more incentive for those of you who have not yet signed up for the yes. uh, $600 a month Patreon bonus that we offer. Uh, that's just <laughs> a little taste of what you're missing. Yes. So, um, Kit, while you're putting on some makeup, tell mm-hmm. us a little about uh, your triple, why you chose this film and the other films and uh, all that kind of stuff. So this triple has been in the works for a while because I've been thinking, you know, essentially since we began this topic of uh, this podcast of various ways to get Phantom of the Opera on the bill. Um, And I put it, you know, I've restrained myself for quite some time. Um, It's been like a year and and a half. And it has been in various places. Uh, But I really wanted to watch Age of Innocence. That's my favorite Scorsese movie. And I think like neither of you have seen it. No, I've never seen it. Um, and I also have been thinking about like opera in, in movies a lot. Like we did Moonstruck, um, just up and, you know, famously in like Pretty Woman opera just like is a stand in for a lot of things in movies, especially when you want to like be, you know, fancy. Um, and I feel that Age of Innocence and Dangerous Liaisons, I think, go together super well. Phantom is an outlier, um, but still, you know. It's romantic intrigue and love triangles and, uh, you know, scorned people and kind of so the sort of uh, social opera as like a part of the social fabric or a place where um, uh, well, social dramas like play out. And anyway, um, the other reason is that for us now, you'll be hearing this some, you know, six years in the future, but uh for us now it's Christmassy time it's December and these movies to me have like a they're not about Christmas necessarily but they have like a cozy opulent Christmassy period film uh feeling to them so and there's there's snow in this movie so there is snow in this movie um that concert sort of seems like it's taking place at Christmas time with that like very high high voiced man singing yeah Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's it's because I agree that these movies kind of feel Christmassy, and I think it's partially 
the lighting and the costumes mm-hmm. but then it's also that like these movies tend to come out at the end of the year for like oscar yes. season yes and then i think that's like, true so there's kind of this like well that's the time of year when i watch a period piece yeah. like this is like you know november december and all that, yeah. or even you know february when the oscar or march or whatever i don't want to do the thing so but yeah because i was thinking while we were watching it you had mentioned that it had something to do with christmas possibly and mm-hmm. uh it didn't and but i was yeah the candles and, and stuff yeah and um it's also i just did my my last triple before this one was the ballet triple and so i think i'll just stay on a tear of you know trying to educate you guys and <laughs> <laughs> in finer what forms. what just kidding uh, i don't like opera at all type of art will be next um painting that'd be fun yeah you could do the classic Herschel Gordon Lewis film, uh, Color Me Blood Red. Ah. I was thinking maybe The Pillow Book. I've never seen that. I don't know if that's really painting or if he's just writing on a lady. I haven't either. Have you seen uh, Mr. Turner? That's a good one. That's a good uh, one, That's yeah. a really good one. Tim's well, Vermeer, my favorite documentary. Ooh, we have but not done really a documentary. Do documentaries. That would be fun to talk about. Have we really not done a documentary? No. no. Interesting. Or an animated I mean, I see film. why. Because it's, it's a... It's a I'm sure we can make it work, but it's, you know, that's a different kind of thing to talk about. Yeah, you would kind of have to talk about, like, the facts of it or something more than the filmmaking. But we just talk about shit anyway, so. Um, Okay, well, thank you, Kit. Uh, And then, I guess, Andrew, we're going to jump over to you. Let's do it. What did you think about the film? (sighs) Well, Mike, oh, boy. Um, I have seen this before. I, I do like it. I think it is very good. Um, this time I found it I found it a lot harder to watch than hmm. previous viewings. Or viewing, I guess. I think I've only seen it once, like, a dedicated watch. I think I've watched parts of it on TV and stuff. But, um, And I don't know if it's just, like, being, you know, kind of, uh, you know, living in the kind of post Me Too world or whatever, but it was just like, even even though they get their comeuppance to some degree, it's sort it's just like it's hard, I think, to like watch these two people manipulate uh seemingly nice people um and, you know, uh commit rape um for the good of a you know what I think they think is sort of a, a game to pass the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think it's, it's, I don't think the movie doesn't know that it's asking the audience to go along with it. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm getting soft, but I was like, just the, the it's, this movie was rough for me to watch. Not just, not just like the rape scene, which isn't like violent or any, I mean, it does have a violence to it, but it is not like... I think it's like, more violent you know. than you would expect, given yes. the tone of this movie a little bit, that, like, they would be... I'm glad they aren't. I, I also... I find this... I, I find the scene with Uma, like, very disturbing. Um, but and, even, and like, also, John Malkovich is very scary. He is. When he and wants like to the, be. <laughs> the, the scene where he busts in on Peter Capaldi and the lady he's having yeah. sex with, and then... You know, she, he basically says, you got to do something for me and I won't tell. And then she like kind of lies back like, OK, here we go. I mean, just even that is just like, you know, 
I, mean, I understand it's like a time and place of, of when the movie takes place, but also mm -hmm. when the movie was made and also the, the, the subject matter. Um, but it is, and I don't, and I don't necessarily think that this movie couldn't be made today in the way it was made. Like, I don't think there, I don't think, I really don't think the movie is unaware of itself, at least mostly. Um, but it is, for whatever reason, maybe I'm more aware, or I'm just older, and I, I don't know, but it, it was just, it was, it was harder for me to watch than I expected. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's I, like, I like, and it's like, I watch, you know, like, I can watch torture porn to some degree, like, I can watch <laughs> fucked up shit, so yeah. it's like, I, it's, maybe it's because it's sort of unassuming, maybe it's because... Mm -hmm. it's packaged because I'm expecting, um, you know, another sort of another period piece where, you know, dumb rich people play out a soap opera. Uh, and it is that, but just like the most fucked up version of that, um, which is also refreshing for the genre, I think too. So, I mean, I, I do like this movie. I do think it's very good and it's, um, it's definitely something that I don't, you, it's not the type of movie you see very often. Um, but it is, uh, it is rough in spots. Hmm. Even just like listening to the way they talk about people, you know, the way he, it's sort of like, what's that, what's that Neil Aboot movie? Um, the one about where they're trying to get somebody to fall in love with them. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Aaron Eckhart and that other dude, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't. It's, oh God, what is it called? I don't think I've ever seen it. In the Company of Men? In the Company of Men. You should watch In the yeah. Company of Men. That also, similar feeling. And what's the other, the mm -hmm. shape of, what's the one with Paul Rudd? And the Rachel Shape Wise? of Fangs. Yes. The Shape and of Fangs. That movie, that, that movie wrecked me when I was, like, young. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, it. it's like, it's like in the same wheelhouse to me. It's like, and. and it totally is. And there, and. They're both, they're all three of those movies are plays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were plays first. Um, yeah, those are all, that would have made a really interesting <laughs> mm -hmm. triple. And it's interesting because Shape of Things and In the Company of Men and Dangerous Liaisons, I think, qualify also as comedies to an extent. Like they are yeah. black, you know, dark comedies with drama as well. Um and I do think that they're all successful. I think this this is my favorite. But the movie, this movie pulls off an interesting trick of like, they do not, I feel, shy away or really make excuses for how horrible Glenn Close and John Malkovich are. We it's we don't get some like super tragic backstory for for Valmont to like explain why he's like this. We get a little bit of context for Glenn Close but she's not like excused for it um so and yet we still enjoy like I think you still enjoy their repartee and their scheming but also can be horrified by it I think partially because all of the performances are very good and I think I don't know I think so do you guys know who originated the role of Velma in the play no, no. Alan Rickman. It basically is what made his career. Um, and Hollywood would not even consider him <laughs> because he wasn't famous at all outside of theater in 
But when did... In what, England. No, he would have just... Oh, you're right. You know what? Because Die Hard came out the same year. So he yes. has probably just become oh, a name. Yeah. That, so, I honestly... I think that would have been a much better movie. Like I think it would have been really interesting, but I, I think it would have been really different. Yeah. I feel like... the So, I guess... I don't know. These are less general. This one of my more specific thoughts on the movie was just like, I don't find Malkovich to be an attractive person. And he's also just such an ass in this movie. And oh, so the, the the thing that just this movie did not pull off for me was con- like helping me like see why Michelle Pfeiffer would just yeah. suddenly fall so deeply in love with John Malkovich. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. And so like, I feel like if it had been Alan Rickman, I could like, you could kind of see, I don't know. And like, I love John Malkovich. He's, he's a great actor, but just in terms of like, like it would be like having John Malkovich play like, you know, a role that was meant for Paul Rudd, the sexiest man in the world or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of uh, confused, but uh, I mean, that's too yeah. bad though. He would have been really good. I bet. And they even or, ha- like, apparently I was, was just, on the stage. I was just thinking Sorry. of this, the scene after he, it's like the next morning after he rapes Uma Thurman and he kind of taunts her at the breakfast table, which is like horrific. And then Michelle Pfeiffer, she sees that and clearly makes some like makes some sort of connection. Like she understands that something fucked up happened. And I feel like there's moments like that throughout. And I understand that like that's the whole thing is like she is supposed to doubt him and he has to overcome her doubt. But it's just like, and she. To, to even get to the conclusions that she gets to, she has to have some sort of worldly understanding. Um, I think, so yeah, but I, I think that's part of the point. I think that that is su- a part of the social point to be made by the material is that the, you can either, you can be like Glenn Close, who's like, knows everything is mm-hmm. in charge of everything is controlling everything mm-hmm. or like, but you know, is evil <laughs> or right. you can be like Michelle Pfeiffer. Who's innocent to the point of idiocy in a way. Like she is so sheltered and so pious and such, you know, an ideal of womanhood that that's what leads to her ruin. I think is that, you know, this man who is, plainly horrible kind of even to her (laughs) like pays her attention and she just can't and i mean you know he is totally everything in i mean they're stealing her letters like like even when she suspects certain things they're like controlling her entire life they've like made they've truman showed her almost and to Mm -hmm. the degree that they're like you know gaslighting her so you know and you know, maybe she thinks she can save him. <laughs> I guess I, I I just think t- to Mike's point, like I I I I agree. Like I don't I don't think it. I don't think Malkovich quite. And I also like him. Like he's got like this really strange charisma that he. It's just like him. It's I, I feel like every time he's mm-hmm. one of those actors that isn't quite a chameleon, because he's so John Malkovich. Um, yeah. But it's always. It's all, it's generally like very enjoyable to watch, but yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, it didn't, yeah, no, I, I had trouble with it. He's, he's very distinctive looking, but then he's also like, he's a great actor. Like, like when he gets into a role, like, like I even like, um, what's that one he's in with Clint Eastwood? 
You remember what I'm talking about, where he plays like the like the assassin? Oh, uh, in the in the line of fire. Yeah, uh, yeah, that one. So that was probably one of the first times I saw John Malkovich, and like, you know, that's like a Kevin Spacey in Seven type of like impression. Like he is mm-hmm. so great and creepy in that movie. He and is like, really creepy. Um, but then probably the next thing I saw him in was being John Malkovich, and like, that's he's also. I mean, yeah, and that's kind of that's just a, a completely unique movie. But like. Uh, I don't know. There's just like things he does and like even like noises he makes in being John Malkovich that it's like he's so mm-hmm. like good at this. Um, and I think he's very good in this movie. But just I was already having trouble just story wise, like in terms of what I'm seeing in the story of mm-hmm. like how he's trying to get Michelle Pfeiffer, how resistant he, she is, how virtuous she supposedly is. And so he's going to try to win. And so it's like I just don't quite see like what and, and like what's so weird, like that point you talk about is like when. Like Uma Thurman is there at the breakfast table and she knows something is up. And then it's like she's suddenly very friendly to him like soon after. And I I might have missed something, but I just didn't gather like what caused her to change and become much more affectionate and then like completely passionately in love with him. All that type of stuff. Anyways, yeah. Being, I think I can see like, I mean, I would love to. I would love to see the version of this movie with like Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, like I wouldn't complain about that. It's like you can, without having seen the play, like you can t- completely imagine how he would be so great in oh, definitely. this role, um, saying all these lines. And I can also see why you would go, well, we're, no way we're casting an unknown Alan Rickman. Um, and I can see how you can go from him to John Malkovich, like why he would be your next thought. Yeah. Um, I really do like John Malkovich in this role. I think he it, he brings a different energy. It's weird because I probably saw Cruel Intentions, which is an ad, also an adaptation of the novel and kind of of this movie. Ah, and okay. John Malkovich has more of a... Like, he has more... He has more of a Ryan... Phil, like, the Playboy energy is stronger. The, like... And I do think he's sexy in this as well, even as he's like a horrible person. I think he, I like I love how he looks in this movie. I love how everyone looks in this movie. Like him and Glenn Close look like the best they've ever looked. I think in this film, um, but it like Alan Rickman. I feel like maybe he would have sold because he's done things like this before. Even in even in Die Hard, when he suddenly turns it on to pre- and he's pretending to be the American guy. Mm-hmm. Um, don't like, shoot man oh yeah the, the switch that he makes I feel like maybe some of those would have been uh, more convincing but I also see how like a young John Malkovich brings more of a like like I'm a bad boy but every time you see me like I'm doing charity and like I'm so, like I don't know I really like what he brings to it specifically as well yeah, um, yeah it's a different I wonder if Al, I mean, look, I'm sure he was fantastic and I would love to see it, but I believe Malkovich at the end, particularly when he's kind of seems to just be like, oh, yeah, I just like wasted my whole life, (laughs) like, you know, being an asshole for like reasons I don't even understand and haven't even tried to understand, like his kind of just aimlessness. I I buy a lot like the 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 turn at the end. It's interesting yeah. how fast everything. I mean, it's a 2-hour movie. Yeah. And the ending happens very quickly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
everything that gets settled. I thought that at the end, that scene where he's um, basically like dying in the snow or whatever, like Mm -hmm. he kind of does like as his. So, you know, he says his lines and then he kind of like I can't remember if he closes his eyes or not, but he kind of does like it's a dramatic death and it looks very Mm -hmm. much like something you would see like on stage or something. Yeah. And it just had this millisecond of like, really? And then Mm -hmm. then he did. I don't know, some movement of his. As he, you know, continued to slump over, I was like, OK, that I was that was pretty good. Like, you know, yeah. like it's still like a very classy stage death. Yeah, and it was almost too a- hammy. But then he, it's like he, you know, reined it in or something. I don't know. But it, it like almost didn't work. And then it did. I but, think that um, this movie is really interesting because usually when we say that a movie feels like a play, we're talking about how it's shot. I think a lot of times. Um, yeah. And then and then often it's the writing. I think that like the sound design, the acting the dialogue, obviously, um, the sort of the way that the script avoids cliches in a way or kind of subverts expectations a few times makes it feel more like theater maybe than like a movie. Um, but it's all shot on locations. It, to me, it feels like a play performed in different rooms with space in between. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's. It feels to me like a like a play that was like in a weird how do I put this like I feel like a lot of plays that are made into movies it's like they kind of like the the actual visual aspect is takes a back seat mm-hmm. in a way um, yes like even like the the Neil Aboot, uh examples from earlier like I feel mm-hmm. like especially in the company of men feels very much like I'm just watching a play, even though it mm-hmm. takes place in offices or whatever. Like just the way it's, yeah. op- it's part of it's the way it's written. Cause it's, it's all just two dudes coming to work and then like them telling, you know, whatever happened the night before. So it feels, it feels like it's, it's written like a play, but I feel like, but this movie, like the camera moves and yeah. there are, you know, there's a ton of thought put into the, um, art direction and all those things. So yeah, oh, yeah, it feels, even though it, it, I think that like in the way it is, you know, extremely dialogue heavy, um, like that aspect, but that's not so different from any other, you know, aristocratic period piece, you know, right. I feel like most of those movies, you know, feel more or less like this. But there's not very many people in this movie. No. Like, other yeah. than the opera scenes, there's like no extras. No. Yeah. Which maybe also le- lends to that idea that they're always in these like big empty <laughs> areas a lot it of is, the time. It is very weird to just think about all of these people who are just existing, you know? Like they have mm-hmm. these huge estates and all they do all day is move from one room to the next and go on walks. And I feel like the the I feel like just the nature of the movie it's i i feel like there's a there's an understanding that this is a thing that we're all supposed to shake our heads at and think is like funny it's just like oh these guys don't like they don't have jobs they don't do mm-hmm. fucking shit all they do is sit around and plot and scheme and you know maintain their reputation it's just so weird it's such a foreign yeah, thing to me but like, i think it's also sorry go ahead i was just well, gonna say oh. go ahead hmm. go ahead <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you know, I think if I had an, an unlimited amount of money yes. 
and no real purpose in life, it would very it would be probably pretty easy to uh, you know go down some dark hole and become a horrible person because the only yeah. form of entertainment that I can get off to anymore is destroying things because I live in a in a sort of you know a house of opulence and everything is so delicate, including my you know my fake hair and my pantaloons. So <laughs> what else can I do but you know mm -hmm. wreck things? Um, yeah. So Kit, have you read the book? No. Okay. So like, I think this came out uh, just before like the French Revolution. I mean, not like the day, but uh, a decade or two before the French Revolution. Um, and I'm very sketchy on French history, but I had to assume that this is probably a, this film is probably very faithful to the book um, and that the book was probably satirical and exactly kind of like what Andrew was saying, where you're you're supposed basically it's like, I don't know. My, my thoughts on this, as I was watching this movie, one of the main things I was thinking about was the the 120 Days of Sodom or Sodom mm -hmm. or whatever book. Yeah. Um, and like <clears throat> um, that probably isn't satirical. Like it's more of it was kind of like a philosophical thing for him, I guess. But but with this, it seemed like it was probably a scandalous book because of the events yes. in it. But it was probably also something where people would read it and you kind of get to enjoy the naughtiness of everybody but then at the end you get this very satisfying you get some redemption and then you get you know the social scorning of glenn close's character and like kind of you know so they get a little bit of comeuppance and stuff and so i kind of i wondered i don't know i didn't look in i didn't yeah i, I guess i could have gone deeper before i podcasted about it but i wondered there's, if this was like yeah go ahead sorry the lore <laughs> of there's lore of this book that i saw that uh it was so scandalous i mean this sounds fake but uh so scandalous that Marie Antoinette had to order a copy with like no the binding was blank so that no one would know what book she oh, was yeah. reading. Um, <laughs> that's the story. Um, and the play originally ended with like the gallows, kind of like in the distance or something like that. Like that was kind of the last image of the play. Um, so, which obviously would not have been in the book because they didn't know that the French Revolution was going to happen when yeah. it was when it was written. But I do think, I, I guess there are connections to be made between, you know, it sort of showing the awfulness of the aristocracy. But I don't know if the book, I'm, I, I don't know how much of the play is like, I, I'm going to guess that the play is taking the plot, but changing much of the dialogue, like for its own purposes. Okay. Um, I'm just going to guess that I don't I don't really know. Maybe I shouldn't guess because it is French. But, you know, novels at this time, especially when novels where people die of, you know, women are are ruined by rakes and then they die of like a non non-specified like illness just resulting from a broken heart. Like certainly English and American examples tend to be like more melodramatic than this movie is, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. See, yeah, and that's I, that's got to be <clears throat> something that would be. I mean, yeah, like an American book. Well, I guess almost pre-American at this time. Yeah. I, whenever it came out, anyhow, yeah, like the this, yeah, France was very different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't but, know if uh, the book was like funnier or more moralizing than the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I would wonder if this would even have been like allow like i wonder yeah i guess i wonder if this was internationally a hit uh, as a book 
uh, or if it would have been too scandalous for like anywhere but France or something. Um, France is weird. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, we'll get into that in a different triple, I suppose. The the ending of this movie, I shall say, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, iconic, one of my favorite endings ever. Um, I th- a phrase I say a lot. Um, I really care about endings in movies, I think. Um, was Glenn Close's idea. They did not have an ending. And really? supposedly the, the story, as she tells it, is that... Uh, uh, Stephen Frears read her what the novel says about the moment, which is something like her soul was on her face. And Glenn Close said, oh, I know what I should do then. Like, it should be me taking off my makeup. Mm, um, interesting. And it's it's very, watching this movie, and I think this every time I watch it, we all know it's a crime that Glenn Close has not won an Oscar. To the extent that anyone not winning an Oscar is a crime, that's probably one of the biggest ones ever. Um she but whatever watching this again because I, I kept it's so shocking to me that she didn't win for this because for one thing it's a role so calculated to be loved by oscar voters in that she's not even in the movie that much <laughs> which they love that you know um and to me this is like hannibal lecter before hannibal lecter like with with a not a ton of screen time she's like Everything, just her, her kind of like unblinking stare, every line delivered like so precisely, um, and then kind of vacillating between just like the most elegant person to like the scary, <laughs> the scariest, you know, person alive, um, how she manipulates everything. Um, and then that last scene, it's like, how could you not <laughs> like, she's, she's so amazing and it's it's a very weird I, it makes me wonder how other people played the role Juliet Stevenson was in this on the West End and I don't know if she, I don't actually know which character she played I'm guessing she played uh the the marquee but um oh this lady from uh, truly madly yeah deeply. from truly madly deeply with Alan Rickman that was they were in that in on, on stage together as well um, oh okay yeah. I forgot about that maybe I don't. You know what? I'll tell you what. I told uh, we were. I was at Thanksgiving. Little little side story. I was at Thanksgiving. My grandmother was there. She loves Alan Rickman. She loves yeah. him Hell yeah. very much. She loves him for Snape. She loves him for Die Hard, and she loves him for uh, Quigley Down Under and Robin Hood. <laughs> and um, she, I told I I told her I was like, Have you ever heard of Truly Madly Deeply? And she's like, No. What's that? And I was like. It's a, uh, it's a romantic ghost story starring Alan Rickman. And she was like, oh, can you send me that? <laughs> um, and I was like, sure. So I had to like find a, a region A and B uh, copy for her so she could, she could see it. But like she loves, um, you know, like The Ghost in Mrs. Muir is one of her favorite movies, mm-hmm. which is a, a, oh, yeah. also a romantic ghost story. Um, so yeah, anyway, she's... That's absolutely cool. stoked to watch this. So I got it for her for her birthday. <laughs> oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, and other, other, you know, movie connections, like Glenn Close lost her Oscar this year to Jodie Foster, who would win again, obviously, for what? a few years later, she, for, what did, for The Jody... Accused, which is like mm. a TV movie, basically, but she gets gang raped in it. So, you know, I'm sure. I love Jodie Foster. She's great, but... 
I'm gonna go ahead and doubt the accused holds up as well as this does. <laughs> I think. Uh, I have not seen that one either. I've never seen it. Uh, you don't know, like they make fun of it in like South Park, I think, where she gets like raped, on, gang raped on a pinball machine. Doesn't that happen in the South Park episode where they see Indiana Jones and the Temple I, of Doom? That sounds. Familiar. And they're ta- they're talking about how. Uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg raped Indiana Jones. Yeah. Okay. So I, that, think, I didn't know that. I was think they parody the accused in that. Okay. <laughs> All um, right. <laughs> yeah. I think after Not like of Doom, Crystal Skull, Temple of Doom's fine. <laughs> the wait. I think I wait, said Indiana Jones, one? the Temple of Doom, Crystal okay. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's the one they Crystal were Skull upset is the about. Fourth one. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm just a Raiders boy. That's all I know. I think you wouldn't. I think you, Mike, would possibly. En- you would be the kind of freak that would enjoy uh, Temple of Doom more than oh, no. Raiders. I've seen them all. Okay. But Temple of, no, Temple just, of Doom has had a huge cu- cultural reappraisal. People like love that movie now. Really? It's, uh-huh. it's very. Huh. It's much more over the top in a way that I think is fun it's i don't i mean raiders is like a perfect movie number one on the american friend institute list and uh-huh. temple of doom is not and it is true that all kate capshaw does is fucking scream the entire time and i hate it but it's still like it does have a mind fun it has the and mind scene and it has the best line of the entire series so we are going to die <laughs> right yep and then but. um the opening's fun as hell too uh-huh yeah so i have not seen two or three probably since I was in like elementary or middle school. And then I have not seen. Oh, well you should watch one. You should watch. I mean, I think last crusade is, is I think you could, you could put it. It's not as good as Raiders, but it's, it's a taken, better sequel to Raiders for sure though. And okay. it's also, it's also taken me like most of my life to realize that it's not as good as Raiders because I think it's so good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I should rewatch those one of these days. If um, it had and- been the first sequel to Raiders, it would you would be like, oh, they did a good job, <laughs> yeah. you know, of following up this movie as opposed to like Temple of Doom, which I think for a long time was considered like, ugh. yes, they it like- definitely was when I was a kid because it was like all people talked about was the monkey brains thing. Yep. Um, but I think I mean, yeah, but Temple of Doom, I mean, it's cool that they made it like so much more violent <laughs> and yeah. scary. When well, Raiders, just, I mean, Raiders was definitely frightening itself. Yeah. And and it's it's just uh, sort of like a different kind of adventure movie that they were going yeah. for with that it one. Is. Like they're trying to kind of recreate. It is it, it is it thing. is kind of bold, too, because I feel like, you know, the way sequels usually happen, especially like in the 80s and 90s, um, it was like, OK, here's what we did with the first movie. So the people liked that. So we have these, we've got these, this column of checkboxes and that is, that is because, you know, because this movie was successful, that is the formula. And there's some of that in, in, in Temple of Doom, of course, but I feel like Temple of Doom does take some pretty big swings. You know, it, it, it's a prequel to Raiders. So they, which they did purposely so that they could fundamentally change the character of Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. And then also like just tonally, it's, it's got, you know, it's it's a very dark uh, version of some of the things that they're going for. I mean, just in the color palette, but also it's just like it's 
fucked up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I think <laughs> this is not the movie we watched, but... Um, <laughs> we I should think do another triple with the uh, first three Indiana Jones. Sure. That'll be fun. I do think I do think that the 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 thinking behind the creation of Temple of Dune is um, much more inspired than ninety percent of you know the thought that goes into any sequel. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't watch that and go like, oh, they weren't trying. Like they actually do try to raise this raise the stakes. I think over raiders. Yeah, like we're I like, oh, the, we're I gonna make the, this bigger and. I think the script sucks. Um, yes. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. It's just like a dude who keeps ending up places. Um, I would just like her. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's 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 not as it's definitely not that interesting in terms of the the, the actual story. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to let's get back yes. to dangerous liaisons. Andrew, um, I believe you were just yep. about to read some notes. Yeah, I got some notes. Um, let's see. What do I have? And it's just this is nothing nothing specific. I just like things I noted. Um. Uh, I liked the line, I've always known I was born to dominate your sex and avenge my own. Um, <laughs> though she does not make good on the second half of that, I would argue. No. <laughs> um, which, that, honestly, that line, because I didn't remember the ending of the movie entirely, mm-hmm. so that line stressed me out because it because I already knew that these people were irredeemable and I was worried that that a rape was going to occur at the service of, you know, some vendetta Punishment. towards... Yeah, mm-hmm. and anyway, that would be... The movie would be terrible if that was the case, but just, like, I had no idea. Um, oh, the complexity of the manipulation reminds me of Dune. Uh, we're in, hmm. you know, the world is all about Dune right now, so it just, like, it just made me think of, like, the way people break down manipulation to, like the granular level reminded me a lot of Dune. Um, It's, what else did I say? Uh, Oh, I did have an interesting, well, I I do think that like, you know, the casting of Uma, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Keanu was very specific. Um, It felt like it to me. Like these characters are all very naive and also um, not great actors. In, in a way, somebody <laughs> might argue that. Um, yeah. And so I wonder, like, was Stephen Frears looking for people who, like, almost couldn't sell a line? Like, people you could see through? Um, does that make sense at all? I think it does. I think they also... I think Uma is actually good in this. I, to me, this is one of her better acting performances. I think um, she's well cast. I yeah, don't know if I, I think, think it I don't is know if partly because good. of who she's playing, but like yeah. she comes off very genuinely stupid in the in the film. Um, I think you got to read. You should see Roger Ebert talking or writing about Michelle Pfeiffer in this period, and particularly in this movie and in Age of Innocence. People were just losing their shit, cowed by her. They were like, "She's amazing," and I truly just think. She's just that pretty. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Roger Ebert is like, wow, she's the best actress who ever lived. And, like, I also think this is one of her better performances. I think she's good in this movie. Um, she's fine. It's just, like, you have these two, like, powerhouses driving yes. this thing. Yes. 
and, and then I think you have you're right that like the else. softest people you could like Keanu is just like looks like a wind would blow him away. Mm-hmm. You know, his brain so weighs so movie. little. He's very funny. And and again, I think this is a good use of Keanu. If we're I do going, too. You know, if we're I going to use Keanu, he's yeah, I think you could be right that like Stephen Fears was specifically looking for just like. You know, the uh, it is they are truly like the opposite of Glenn Close and John Malkovich, who are like, and Alan Rickman for that matter, who just seem like intellectual titans and the most sort of like forceful actors of their time set against people who who came from California, basically. People who grew up going to the beach, like that's the yes, opposite of yes. them. <laughs> and, and, to, and to that point, like uh, Keanu, genuinely, there are there are. There are line deliveries in this movie where he sounds like Ted, like yeah. he's, where he's yeah. doing Ted. Yeah. And I thought that was really funny. Um, Wasn't also, this year or was that? Uh, no, it was a few years earlier. I think it was either. But okay. also... I think it was two years earlier. I think 86 or okay. could be 84, maybe even. But I think it's 86. I can't think it would be that early. To, to okay. that end, I love that every nobody's doing a fucking British actress, actor. Like, oh, what? yeah. Accent in this. <laughs> yeah, I love I like that, that they too. all get to be like use their own accent like to me it makes it that's another thing that maybe makes it play like um in a way somehow but people get to use their real voice instead of as they almost always are pretending to be british to play french people like yeah, i'm I so glad it. they don't do that i i i, I had the same thought uh, yeah. hold the phone uh, i i gotta say bill and ted's excellent adventure was 89 so it's actually the year i'm after. amazed wow. i am crazy. Wow. Truly so what amazed. had he done before this <laughs> Was uh, when's my, my own, own private? What was that? My own private. I'm trying to think of what Keanu had done, but but I don't oh, think that was, that was before this. Yeah. What? Yeah. Is so this one really, of his first movies? Kind of. Mm. So he was in uh, a handful, like River's Edge. Okay. Um, yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. Prince, Prince of Pennsylvania That's... was the same year. I've never seen that one. What's Which one? Record? Yeah, he was he was basically doing TV movies. He did TV movies, okay. and then '88 was like his breakout year. '88, he had like five movies come out. Yeah, and then Bill and Ted was the next year after that. Yeah, it, this, and this no, movie I'm does, blown this, away. does this this movie doesn't seem like it came out in 1988. I don't. No, think. I agree. I thought early '90s for sure when I was watching. No, yeah. but but Bill and Ted does seem like a movie that oh, came for out. Sure, and it's and it's yeah. so and Bill and Ted is so like. Um, it feels so like thrown together compared to this. I mean, I think Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a really, really good movie, but it is yeah. so like different in its production value compared to this movie to me. This uh, my mind is blown. Um, I do have one more thing I want to say about Keanu's per- performance. There's one like acting beat that I like almost lost my shit. It was when he first, I think it's the first scene he has with Malkovich, where he kisses him on the cheek and then yeah. he gives him a this hug where he like nuzzles into his shoulder and I'm yeah. mm-hmm. I could not figure out <laughs> like where did that note come from it's funny I, it it kind of works but it seems like such a strange choice I don't know I wonder if it's like he's like a he's like a puppy uh, yeah, I guess so. Maybe, He's maybe. Like, but it's like it's yeah. like almost like it's it's almost like a note that was taken too literally, you know. <laughs> like I could see I could see Stephen Fears being like, 
you're very innocent. You're very puppy like. Yeah. Um, you don't, you know, you don't really know this world. And then Keanu is just like, yes. And I'm not, I'm a Keanu stan, so I'm not saying he's stupid, but I just, like, I could just see him being like, okay, I'm going to act like a puppy. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the, the little bark was a bit much, but otherwise you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and my dog is, of course, barking in the background because she's a monster. Um, <laughs> she's my... just taking notes from uh, Stephen Frears. Yeah. Um, I'll give um, my last note is uh, one of them, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Malkovich finally uh, slaps Glenn C- close, and it's such a good. It's such a good moment because he seemingly, you know, hits her hard, but she, like, her twitch is almost imperceptible. She, like, does not move or, there's no, you know what I mean? Like, anytime somebody gets slapped in a movie, they're flying across the floor, they're holding their face, and she doesn't give him any sort of satisfaction. I thought that was a really great moment Mm -hmm. um, and a good choice. And not something you, just not something you see very often. I'm a big fan of hitting women on film, and that was for sure. For sure. <laughs> God. Um, let's see. Did you have other notes? I guess I didn't have a lot of notes. I kind of because this is the first time I'd seen it. Actually, I never really said my general thoughts on the movie. Um, this is the first time I'd seen it. I thought it was a little slow. Like I was a little bored in parts, but the parts where it's Glenn Close and uh, Malkovich together were obviously just like the coolest. Um, also, I, my, another this was my problem, not the movie's problem. I could not help but compare every single thing that was happening in this movie to how Cruel Intentions goes. And so, like, I love Cruel Intentions. And like, uh, I've only just recently have seen that for the first time, but I, it was like an instant favorite. And um, so, yeah, I actually think Cruel Intentions, I like it better. Whether or not it's a better movie would be arguable, but but that was a problem I had while watching this was that I felt like I kept comparing it unfavorably to Cruel Intentions. Um, however, yes, their uh, two leads are totally that, that's the movie. Yeah, that's like they they make the movie. So, anyways, those are my general thoughts. Thank you. Um, I have some notes. Um, so I was watching this thinking like I don't think Mike and Andrew are gonna like this very much. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad. Why did you Why did you think that? <sighs> I think because it's so like I don't not know. Cleavage. It's like not it's cuz I cuz it's not because it's like well it's just people talking but like you guys aren't stupid. I'm not <laughs> but I'm just like I don't know because I think everything that I enjoy about it is like well that's not something that I think draws them to movies, you know. Like it's very I don't know. It's it's so draggy and over the top and like every it's fun that it's like a a like you know sophisticated good celebrated oscar winning movie but then also like very base in a way that like when it's adapted as cruel intentions it's like cruel intentions is basically the same movie exactly and it except like trash but it's great that was one thing i meant to say earlier and i hope i'm not cutting you off um but like 100% Ryan Felipe watched this and then just imitated Malkovich. Exactly. exactly. So like That's there's, there's totally. scenes where I'm pretty sure they just recreated it in Cruel Intentions, but the anyways, way th- 100% and the way that, and I will say Reese Witherspoon. Now they changed the story again a bit so that yeah. she doesn't have to do something as um, sort of 
mystifying as Michelle Pfeiffer falling in love with him in this movie, other than that he's like hot John Malkovich. Uh, but like Reese Witherspoon is much more believable yeah. and compelling in that role. So I think in some yeah. ways, Cruel Intentions is an improvement over this movie. It's just to me, you can't be like Glenn Close in particular. Like I like this is like one of my favorite just like performances from an actress, probably like top five. Um, I think um, the costumes, I just want to say, are like definitely like so, I think some of those beautiful costumes. I love that film. scene, the the, the the insert shots of them like dressing oh. for the day. And just I mean, it's just like it's almost gratuitous. Like, yeah. look how good our costume designer did. But I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because because of the um, I'm going to say fidelity, the resolution of, you know, stuff now, costumes have gotten a lot more intricate in the last like couple of decades. Mm. Like if you look at like the costumes in Emma or even the costumes in Little Women, I remember there being a feature where um, someone pointed out that like the detail, the level of detail in like Emma Watson's like fancy pink dress that she wears as Meg when she's, you know going off the deep end of luxury um like that level of detail wouldn't even necessarily have been able to be picked up or or seen like easily you know um a few decades ago but watching this movie to me this movie has that level of detail like even though it's from the 80s where like the the amount of beading and the kind of lace and everything just looks like it doesn't matter how cl- and those insert shots kind of prove it that like no matter how close you get to this shit it's like it looks so luxurious and amazing and it's just like the kinds of robes that like malkovich gets to wear in this it's like god that's just i want to walk around my house in shit like that it's just <laughs> it's so it's so cool and they also find a way i think in this movie to make i i really like the makeup as well which is you know the makeup is actually very ends up being very important to the movie um that it actually almost always when you watch a period piece they you know, they don't do the makeup that people actually <laughs> were doing then. It's mm-hmm. like whatever the hair and makeup of our time with like maybe some kind of slight, you know, period bent to it. But this movie, what particularly on Glenn, oh, most of the women look very lightly made up. Like they're probably wearing a lot of makeup, but it's made to look like they aren't wearing mascara they aren't you know i really like that and then glenn close's makeup actually does look like you know powdery and like but i just i really really like that and she's just like has the perfect face for it obviously but also like the hair the wigs they managed to make all these like powdered wigs and weird curly hairstyles that are you know fairly historical historically accurate still look like attractive (laughs) yeah i think um and it goes with, I think, how the people talk. I like that they don't... I like that in addition to everyone using their real accent, the dialogue is not trying to sound like 18th century dialogue. Like, they're basically talking in a contemporary parlance. Like, it's not yeah. anachronistic necessarily, but it's like... That's to me, is another thing that makes it feel like theater or makes it very obvious that it comes from theater is that it's not trying to imitate... Um, you know, a, a historical dialect. It's just like, that's the setting. And then we're going to do what we want within that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. I think this is just, I really, 
I really enjoy this movie. I enjoy how small the story is in a way. Like, you know, I don't know. I was listening um, to the Scarlet Letter episode because that's the one we just posted and thinking about um, all the attempts in that movie to try to like add action to what is basically just a little kind of psychological drama between people and how stupid that is. And then in this movie, they just like let it be. And I really enjoy it. I wanted to, I just wanted to say about the, what you were saying about like, you know, there's so few people in this movie. One thing I think that's interesting about that is that there, I think there's a pretty big payoff that relies on there not being very many people in this movie. And that's Mm -hmm. when she walks into the opera house or whatever. And people start like hundreds of people start (laughs) booing her. Yeah. Like that, that makes the story so much bigger than you realize it is. Yeah. And it, 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 I think that the, I think the movie almost hinges on that. Like, I think Mm -hmm. if we don't know that she is absolutely hated by her entire society, um, that her, her plan is absolutely, you know, to sort of manipulate that society has failed gloriously. Um, by people literally booing her. Yeah. Well, you get you get that scene. There's like one other. There's the two opera scenes where you see that there are other people, particularly that one. Uh-huh. And then there's the scene where Malkovich goes to do charity among poor people, and like all the kids are like following him out of town, out of the village, like begging. Mm-hmm. And the line that he says after that, I can't remember what it was. Oh, he says something like. Wow, for like 56 yeah. cents, you can like, you know, save a bunch of people from ruin. Yeah. Um, and it's so evil. It's so it's yeah. it's like funny. What he says is funny and like satirical, but also like, God, what a piece of shit. Like, yeah, it's like, that's pretty those, bad. So like anytime like more people are shown, it's really to like prove what horrible people these are. I also want to shout out the first guy who says boo in that scene because it is the perfect boo it's a very good <laughs> it, boo it's so that's so much pressure and he fucking nailed it mm-hmm. yeah that is a How great ma- ending um, it's great i do have one other thing one other thought that i had and you know this, for a movie that takes place at this time and is so sexual do you guys ever think about how nasty yeah dude pussy must have tasted in 16th I, century France. This entire movie I was just thinking about, it's like, they're going to get so many diseases and they, they probably, probably stink so bad. They probably like, smell so horrible. And these people are the good smelling people. Yeah. Right. Well, and I was kind of wondering when Michelle, because like, I'm pretty sure that Michelle Fiverr just dies from having her heart broken. But sure. like, when she says that line to Swoozie Kurtz, like, I'm dying because I didn't listen to you. And I'm like, well, maybe he just gave her like fast acting syphilis or some kind of like <laughs> disease that's like you know yeah she got unlucky and k- it killed her really quick i don't know so because like how many diseases must that dude have had yeah no exactly and like so i, I actually the that movie the favorite that came out a few years ago yeah um yeah. i really didn't like that movie but that is one of the handful of movies that like actually has just like the filth of the old mm-hmm. um just the olden days you know another uh, one another good one Huh. The last, the last duel. That's true. Yeah, they include that in there. Those people are um, all like, even, even like the sexy ladies kind of have nasty teeth. Like some yeah. of them do. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe not Jodie Comer, but I feel like, I feel like some of the other, like, 
Like, Matt Damon is not, like, a, you know... I mean, Matt Damon's the maybe the ugliest of those three dudes anyway, which is not yeah. a nice thing to say, but it's true. Um, he's still good-looking guy. Yeah, he's, that's what I mean. He's I still, think you, like, I a think you, you survey 100 people, you're going to get basically a clean divide... Equal people saying driver, da- uh, Damon, Affleck, like yeah. who they think is the best looking. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, just quick driver aside, uh, <laughs> it's I saw House of Gucci last night because um, I felt like I had to see the other movie Ridley Scott made this year since Last Duel is probably going to be my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Nice. Now that's that's a wild time. Don't spoil it because I'm gonna try to see it this week, and I assume that means Denise already saw it too. Oh, she, her, and Tara loved it. So, okay. have a, you know, have a ball, but but then talk to me later. <laughs> yeah, for a real conversation. I so, think I might agree with both of you. Yeah, you probably will. It's so good. It's, good movie. Well, Go see it. No, it fucking blew. It's bad. Okay, <laughs> I, I wasn't 100 sure where we were going with that. I mean, oh, I mean, you can tell from the trailer that it's, peop- but people that's like the better it. outcome. Yeah. Pe- That's the better like outcome it. from my perspective. Is that it's a camp classic. It should be, that it's just complete. Jared Leto is in trash. his own movie. Like I have, I have been a <laughs> not a. I've been a low key, Jeter, Jared Leto apologist, just because I think that like pe- because of the Suicide Squad stuff, people have gone so hard on him being just like the worst thing ever. It's just like no, he was in stuff before he did that, and it's like yeah. like him as yeah, Paul like Allen in, in, in American Psycho. Like that's. <laughs> That's a That's fine a performance. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, this is like this is like Joker 2.0, like swing <laughs> making big swings, Jared Leto. I mean, it is his makeup is incredible. He looks great, but it's just like the shit he's him and Al Pacino in their scenes together are holy oh. shit. It's I'm like, so excited. I was like, I gotta what is happening here? So I don't know. I know Kit needs to go. Um, yeah. But I want to ask you, I guess, well, after the podcast, how was it the like the planet closed down last year and then the next year Ridley Scott has two movies out? <laughs> like, did he I make one why. of these before the pandemic? What? No, he didn't. Um, he just kept he, going? He he is a... The way he shoots his movies is every single... T- like, he does not take a camera and or two cameras and shoot a scene and then say, okay, we got that. Let's move on to the close-ups. Let's move on to the, the, you know, to let's move on to the inserts. Ridley Scott shoots with like up to seven cameras at once. So every take is the take. He's not pulling okay. from, one of the things that makes editing so like tedious is that you're pulling, oh, I'm, I want this look from this take and I want this from that take. And I don't think Ridley Scott does a lot of that. I think he looks okay. at, each take in its entirety and says that's the one and i think it also makes him maybe a lot of the time not as great of a director as he could be because okay he's leave he's just uh, but i think but he he also is like kind of a soderberg where he edits while he's shooting so okay. yeah but but basically you don't have to go through you don't have to dig around raw footage uh with ridley scott the way you do with other directors okay interesting mm-hmm. um Okay, so we'll finish up. Uh, if we've all gone through our notes, Kit, were you? Were you uh, oops, y'all good? Yep. Okay, sorry, I hit my mic stand. Uh, okay, it is time for the cruise minute. I got um, one. I would love to see Tom Cruise in this movie. <laughs> yeah. In a variety of roles. Yeah, he sure. would be. I think young Tom Cruise could have been the Keanu role. 
I think he would be an interesting Valmont. I think he'd be a good Valmont, yeah. I, don't I mean, think Lestat, you know? Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, that's true. Totally. There you go, Kit. You you have seen him in a, well, <laughs> I, a little different, I suppose. Um, was okay, that I got, the cruise I got, Oh, you got something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got two. Um, this is going to blow your mind. Tom Cruise is, have you guys heard about his, the stunt that he's training for? No. no. Uh, okay. It, the stunt is said to, so last month it was reported that the actor had been rehearsing the sequence in Cambridge, 2,000 feet in the air. It's for, uh, Mission Possible 8. The stunt is said to involve a second World War, uh, 941 but which it's a it's a it's a, a biplane in which Cruz okay. is reportedly uh learning how to fly for the new film and apparently the it shows the there's pictures that show Cruz um <laughs> he climbs out of wing the plane walking? yeah he walks on the wing he's doing I mean I'm looking at them now he's doing uh He's dangling on the wing of the plane, and then, uh, and and uh, he's harnessed the wing, and he remains dangling upside down as the plane is flipped on its belly, and then, with Cruz now in the upright position, the plane will be sent into a nosedive before performing a spin, all while Cruz sat on the wing. He will then proceed to climb back in the cockpit. So this very well cool. could be how he dies like yeah oh yeah that's insane fucking, fucking wild you know i've been in a plane like that have you really as a little kid i was in an open cockpit biplane oh your uncle was a pilot wasn't he um uh, yes but that's not why um, oh, okay we had friends family friends who shared a hangar and like he had like a little the friend had okay. like a little cessna and then there was a guy there who had like a very a vintage like very old open cockpit biplane and we used to do very fancy christmas cards every year like just me and sydney it would be like very elaborate photo shoots and my dad wanted to do one with the plane and then the guy was like i think we were probably 5 and 6 let's say little kids yeah very small and dad was like sure they want to go up and we went up and i knew immediately like this was a horrible idea my <laughs> my my goggles got sucked off my face i think oh my god sydney i mean the we couldn't even see over the sides of the plane so it was just like <laughs> but it was so windy and scary and i was like none of this was made none of this equipment was made to hold someone my size and certainly not sydney's size yeah inside of a, of this plane um it was ter it was so terrifying that's, that's awesome that is awesome. it was crazy um my one... mom was not there i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> uh one last thing that's a fun little Mission Impossible thing is like, even though we've, you know, it got postponed, we've had to wait, and we hope that it doesn't get postponed again. But this is actually cool. Mission Impossible 7 comes out in September 2022, and Mission Impossible 8 comes out in July 2023. <gasps> that's, that's fun. Right. That's an embarrassment that, of riches right there. Yeah, that's very We exciting. should all just live together for that. I know. Like, I know. Several Nine month, month period. I wonder, yeah, I think I think this is supposed to be it. Like I think they're I think he's no! done after that. So no. I think that I think it's I think it I think that's the thing. So I'm I think it might be like kind of a two parter situation. Which okay. yeah. if that's the case, 
like do it Harry Potter style where it comes out six months later, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, and like definitely bring back hook face. Yeah. <laughs> and, and don't make us wait like Dune or Sonic, you know, I'm just tired of all. That's of this, right. Uh... That's right. Sonic comes out in February. I'm pretty sure. Um, or no, April. the best month out. for movies. Yeah. The best yes. month for Sonic for sure. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's always a good month for Sonic. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, all right. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks. But Mike, what Please. are we going to watch next, next week? Well, thank you, Andrew. I almost blew right through. Yeah, um, idiot. Please join us next week for 1993's Age of Innocence. Um, it's going to be a doozy. It's a long one. So you're ready. Oh, no. uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in Glenn Close's cleavage. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes it sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. Hey.